Welcome, everyone. It's so good to be with you here today. Uh, for those of you who do not know me or those of you who are on a, visiting with us on our webcast, my name is Scott Stevens, and I am the counseling pastor at Pendleton Street, and it's my honor to be preaching today. We're in the third week of Advent, and the word Advent is Latin for coming or arriving, and it refers to the coming or arriving of Jesus into this world. And it's said that Christians are to use these four Sundays to prepare for Christmas, remembering its real meaning, and that's the coming of Jesus Christ. And because of Christ, we are new people. We're being, becoming new people every day. Being a new person, we are no longer in this world living as a slave to our sin. We are to act as if we have something to live for and we have something to die for. And as we look up and we raise our heads, we gaze away from the troubles of this world. We recognize that our redemption has arrived when Jesus left his place in heaven and came to this earth as a baby. Through his sinless life and through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from our alienation from God. So Advent is a time for all believers to celebrate the arrival of the Messiah as well as prepare for his second coming. Now the four candles that we've been discussing on the Advent wreath represent the four weeks of the Advent season. Last week we lighted and spoke about the second candle, which represents hope. The Advent wreath has two more candles to be lighted. The fourth candle of the Advent wreath represents love, which we'll talk about next week. And the center candle is the Christ candle, which is usually lighted on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, but we'll be actually having a celebration service that Sunday after Christmas, and that third or that candle will be lighted then. So today's topic, we're talking about joy. If anyone is to have a proper understanding of joy, we, we go back to the scriptures. Love, hope, joy, peace, all of these items or all of these things that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. We refer to the scriptures and we understand what the scriptures have to tell us. And we can do this because we know that the scriptures are true. Second Timothy 3.16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So throughout Scripture, we read that true joy can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But as we've discussed over the past couple of weeks, we have hope and peace with God because of, this, of Jesus' sinless life and his sacrificial death. We can't speak about this too much, people. This is the message that we as believers need to be sharing with the world. We need to be shouting it from the roof rooftops if we're able. John 3.16 tells us that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. What a glorious message. Jesus sacrificed himself for us, making it possible that we can be at peace with God. 
So I want to ask you a question. Are happiness and joy the same thing? I think there are many people in, in my realm, the, the people that I associate with, who think that they probably are. But let's, let's look at the Word of God and let's see what James 1 and 2 says about happy, happiness and joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, if happiness and joy are defined the same way, we should be able to transpose, transpose the words happiness and joy and get the same meaning in that verse. Consider it pure happiness whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, something about that doesn't sit well with me. How about for you? Well, let's talk a little bit about happiness. Many people associate happiness with the things that they receive from this world. A good job, perhaps a beautiful or handsome spouse, a nice home and a good neighborhood, a healthy, compliant children, a boat, <laughs> a boat, a new car, a vacation home. If a person focuses on the things of the world that provide happiness or that, that the world provides in order to be happy, that person will never truly be satisfied. Matthew sixteen twenty six tells us, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? That tells us itself that the things of this world as we accumulate them, aren't bringing us what will bring true happiness and joy. So happiness is solely rooted in a feeling. It's related to our belief in our own level of success and the things that we've accumulated here in this world. Joy, on the other hand, is something quite different. I, th I like this explanation of the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is the reaction to something great. Joy is the product of someone great. St. Augustine, uh, Augustine, in his book Confessions, tells us that the ultimate object of joy is God. He writes that true happiness is to rejoice in the truth, for to rejoice in the truth is to rejoice in you, O God, who are the truth. Those who think that there is another kind of happiness look for joy elsewhere, but theirs is not true joy. Augustine writes that the true joy is the delight in the supreme beauty of goodness of and the truth of God author C.S. Lewis writes that joy can be found in the small things the good things of of the earth such as the apples the fresh air that we we enjoy the seasons the music but Lewis spoke uh, spoke more about this saying that the reading the hand of God in our little pleasures of this world he warned 
that we should not trust in these things to bring us happiness. The things are not the thing itself, if, that's, if that little sentence makes sense to you. It's only a scent of a flower that we have not found or an echo of a tune that we haven't heard. It's a longing glory for heaven and God himself. And I love this quote by Lewis. He adds, He who has God and everything else has no more than he who only has God. Think about that. God with nothing else is everything. So the last verses of the scripture passage that we're studying today explain how joy is the product of someone great. Verses 10 and 11 tell us, For if we were sinners, or we were enemies, if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we were reconciled shall we be saved by his life. But more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So the joy that we have as believers is not something that's fleeting. It's not based on feeling alone. And it's not manufactured by something that we have purchased or something we've achieved. The joy that we have as believers is the product of someone great. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did something that would bring us everlasting joy not just fleeting happiness. So the word rejoice is in the verse that we've just read. And as I look at the definition of rejoice, I see that it's a verb. It's an action word, right? The verb is an action word. And it means to enjoy something greatly or fully. So when you're rejoicing, you're delighting in something and you're finding joy in something. Now, there's a Bible dictionary that I've read that, uh, that defines joy as a quality or an attitude of delight and happiness, which is ultimately grounded in the work of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What a great definition. Among the many situations in which joy is experienced, Scripture recognizes the most joyful situation as being, as being the joy of knowing you are accepted in the presence of God. What great joy that is. As we stand before God, we know that he will accept us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The passage that we're referencing today in Romans is calling us to rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his death, we are reconciled with God. We have joy in our lives because of what Jesus has done. And furthermore, we have the ability to practice true joy because of the fruit of the Spirit. We know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The Holy Spirit teaches us about true joy and then enables us to experience that same true joy. And having joy during 
adverse circumstances is possible only because the Holy Spirit enables us to experience it. Now, Scripture often associates joy with worship. Psalm 98, 4-6 tells us, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. So as we worship, we're rejoicing in the reality of who God is. We rejoice that he has made himself present with us, showing his mighty works through creation and through redemption. And we have joy in knowing that he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And we have joy in knowing that he cares so much for us that everything that he promises us will come true. And that all of the things that we experience here in this lifetime, even those things that don't bring happiness, that that we don't feel joy in, will be used for our good and for his glory. We worship joyfully because we know we have a God who loves us and provides for us and helps us to know him and even helps us to obey him. And he's trustworthy and true to his word. But because of the Christmas season, we should be joyful, especially now because we have that remembrance of what Christ has done, that he came to this earth as a babe. Luke 2, and eight, Luke, 2, Luke 2, 8 through 14 is a wonderful remembrance of this joy that we should have. And I'll read it now. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was, a, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now I recently read an article written by Heath Lambert who is the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville. And he referenced this passage as he was writing about the anxiety and the sadness and the mixed emotions that we'll feel during this Christmas season. Christmas can be a difficult time, particularly when anxiety mixes with a troubled heart. Christmas can bring about memories of lost loved ones, perhaps being separated from loved ones, and the loneliness of this season can be overwhelming. 
consider this verse that we just read. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord was around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The announcement of the very first Christmas brought the negative emotion of fear to these shepherds. The alarm of seeing angels in the sky made them feel dread and terror. But the angels calmed their fears. The dread and terror gave way to joy. So what is in this message that they heard that transformed their hearts from fear to joy? And can this same message help soothe the pain and sorrow that we feel and turn it into joy? In verse 11, the angel is telling the shepherds of a Savior who will be, bring peace between God and men. And the passage we've been studying in Romans actually helps us see the same thing. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access to faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Whoever is justified, justified by faith in Christ is declared righteous before God. And whoever is declared righteous before God is at peace with God. Our ultimate peace and joy. And this is a joy that transcends this life into eternity. Is because God loves us so much that he repaired the relationship that we ourselves destroyed. The Christmas season is a wonderful time, but it can be a time of sadness and sorrow. That sorrow and anxiety and despair often flood our minds, and, and it can be hard to escape these feelings and thoughts. And sadly, these feelings and thoughts can overshadow the true reason for having joy during this season. And that true joy is the fact that we have a Savior who restored our relationship with God. We have a God who loves us more than we know or can imagine. And we have a Lord who sympathizes with us and advocates us for us before the throne of God. We have a spirit who's been given to us who soothes our hearts and guides us to righteousness. He provides us the ability to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in full measure. In the Old Testament, in Micah 5, 2, we read, But you, O Bethlehem, are who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now think about that. 
This is a prophecy in Micah of the coming of the Messiah. As a matter of fact, there are 44 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament that have come true. They've been fulfilled. And we must remember that God keeps his promises to us. He made the promises in the Old Testament, and he's kept these promises now. So we can have joy and peace during the season because we can trust that God says or does what he says that he will do. He's worthy of our trust, and he's shown throughout Scripture that he will do what he says he will. In Numbers twenty-three nineteen, Scripture tells us God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that she, he should change his mind. Has he not said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and he, will he not fulfill it? We are used to being lied to, particularly by people that we love that are close to us. But this verse clearly reminds us that God is not a man and he will not lie to us. He is not a person who changes his mind. God will do what he said he will do. So during those times that we're meditating on the things that are sorrowful in our lives, we need to try to remember, to meditate on our Savior, the one who, is promised, who was promised for us. Meditate on his trustworthiness and the fact that he has made the ultimate sacrifice for you. And because of his love for you, you can meditate on the fact that he is there to provide comfort for you. Even though we'll experience suffering while we're here on this world, it's only for a short while. And Paul tells us that the eternal glory that is being produced far outweighs what we're experiencing. Psalm 30.35 tells us what we should consider when we're sorrowful. It says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes from the morning the sorrow that you feel today the anxiety or the feelings of despair that come about remember that these feelings of loss even though that they're overwhelming can never take away the relationship that you have with God because of Jesus Christ they can never take away the forgiveness of our sins They can never take away the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit's guidance and empowerment. And it can never take away the salvation that's been provided for us and the eternity that we will spend in the presence of our Savior and the Creator of the universe. The sorrows and trials that we face on this earth will never be so devastating that they will take away the, the, love, the love that Jesus Christ has for us. But 
in this passage from Luke that we're reading, we see that the angel said that the message that was given to us is good news of the birth of the Savior, and it's for everyone. It's for all people. Now, consider these two things that are found in the passage. The angels made their announcement to shepherds, people who were not high on a social ladder. They were common people, and they, they were people that God gave his announcement to. They weren't the king. They weren't priests. They weren't Jewish leaders. They didn't go and make a pronouncement at the temple. They spoke to common shepherds, and these shepherds were in the fields. Also, Jesus, the God of the universe, was wrapped in rags and laid in something that animals eat out of. Jesus deserved to be in the grandest palace, yet he was laid in a manger. Jesus, the high king of heaven, came in a way that he showed us that he will associate with us sinful people who need him every day of our lives. What a wonderful message. What a message of joy that we have from that. Philippians 4.4 4 tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice and James spe specifically teach, uh, teaches us about having joy as we are suffering through various trials in our lives. So being justified by Christ doesn't mean that we won't experience these trials. As a matter of fact, John 13 or 16.33 tells us that we will have trials and tribulations throughout our lives. But the promise from God is that there is no amount of suffering that can separate us from Jesus Christ. In Romans, Paul also tells us that all of the trials and tribulations that we have will work for us, not against us. And trials bring us closer to the Lord and enable us to become more like Jesus during this lifetime. Paul tells us that suffering produces endurance, that endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And this is why Paul tells us to rejoice in our suffering because we have the assurance of that relationship with Jesus Christ. If Christ was willing to die for us when we were his enemies, how much more will he care for us and protect us when we are his children. What a wonderful message of joy. We can rejoice because no matter what we are confronted with or challenged with by, the, by this world, the creator of the universe cares for us and has promised us that no matter what happens on this earth, we belong to him. And through his death, he accomplished so much more. In my sermon today, I've spoken a good deal about the joy that we have in Christ. And 
I don't want to imply that all uh, that you won't feel or you shouldn't feel sorrow and grief. Grief is something that we face in one way or another almost daily. The grief that we have might be minor, it might be major, but we all feel grief and sorrow. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians and it's verse four thirteen. It says, "But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope." So this verse shows us that we have the ability to grieve. It's not telling us not to grieve. It's telling us that we should not grieve as others who have no hope. We grieve when we miss that loved one. We long for their presence. But we have hope in knowing that because of Jesus, that person, if they were a follower of Jesus Christ, is is in a much better place. And if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we'll be with them in eternity with God. Romans 5, 3 through 5, that passage that we've been referencing, says that we should rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. According to John Piper, Paul believes that when we remind himself or remind ourselves of the product of suffering, when we remember our, in our hearts that the suffering that we go through produces an expectation of the outpouring of God's love, joy can be kept alive in the midst of the suffering that we're experiencing. I think it's important to remember this verse in Romans and what it's declaring. Sorrow and joy are not exclusive to one another. So this verse helps us to see that. The sorrow and joy are not exclusive to one another. They can happen at the same time. Now, some of you know my father died in June of 2020. And although I am sad about the death of my father, I'm also grateful that God gave me that good man to live with. He cared for me for 58 years of my life. God blessed me immensely by putting me in the care of this man. So the loss that I feel is real. But at the same time, I have joy in knowing that he is in the presence of the Lord. And I can have joy in knowing that God blessed me throughout this this life by allowing me to have time on this earth with this man. So as you experience the tears, make a conscious effort to remember the things that you should be joyful for. 
Piper made another comment that I think is important. He said, you can't stop pain or sorrow and joy from coming. But you can keep joy from leaving. Revelation 21.4 explains, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Death and loss bring about pain and tears, but God will wipe every tear from our eye. And we have hope in knowing that the pain and the death are temporary. One day the tears will be wiped away and the pain will be healed. And we have this promise from Psalm 30. It says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes from the morning. Ultimate joy comes from the hope we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing that God loves us, He is for us, and He's promised to comfort us during our sorrow. And while we are here on this earth, He's promised that death and pain will be put away. And finally, we can comfort and remind each other of these truths. As a matter of fact, we should comfort one another. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and, the, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share in comfort too. We have a responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside each other, to comfort one another, to provide that shoulder, to provide those prayers for each other. We can receive comfort and give comfort to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the great blessings that God gives his children is each other. Being in the family of faith is one of the, uh, and with one another is tremendous. It's tremendous grace by God. But we have a responsibility. Those of us who have experienced sorrow know that the pain and loss does not go away suddenly. There are times when we will experience that wave of emotion and grief long after that event has happened. So we in the church have the responsibility to come alongside those who are hurting. Whenever they need us. So when you feel that the holidays are too hard to navigate through, bring to focus 
the, the things that will bring true joy to your life. The sorrow, the grief that we feel can be replaced by the joy that we have in knowing that God has blessed us here on this earth and He's given us the ability to move forward knowing that we have comfort and joy and a future with Him. Jesus came to this earth to save those of us who follow Him. Jesus came to this earth to repair that relationship that we had that was broken. When we remember that Jesus was restoring our relationship with God, we can see what the angels meant when they said, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Mm -hmm.